Welcome to episode two. This is a two-part episode. I know you're thinking, oh, how exciting, two parts. It is exciting. Today you will meet Bert Spangemacher. Bert's 9-11 story is unlike any other story I've heard, and I think you'll agree. Take a listen. I brought some of your photographs sure. because I do want to talk about those at some point. Of course. So I'm just going to leave them right here. All right. And we'll get to those. No problem. What had you planned to do on the morning of September 11th? Well, actually, I didn't have any plans for the day, to, be, to tell you the truth. At this point, I was living in the Lower East Side on 15 Orchard Street, mm-hmm. right on the corner of Canal. And uh, during that time, uh, my professional life, I was basically transitioning from being a photo assistant to a photographer, which is quite an undertaking. And um, so at the 2001, I was still sometimes assisting, and, but also I just started to get my own jobs and stuff like that. Uh, the day before 9-11, that evening, I went around the corner to a French bar and had too many beers. And I just decided to sleep in, to be honest. That was my plan for the day and then Sounds see like where, you know, start. what happens. Yeah. And anyhow, so um, across or two blocks down, there was a Chinatown firehouse. So I was used to hear the sirens like a lot. Every yeah. time the trucks pull out and or come back or whatever, there's always like some siren going on and so on. But that day in the morning, it was more than usual. Like there were sirens like nonstop. So somehow having, you know, a little bit too much to drink the night before, I couldn't sleep well. And I also think I heard while being sort of asleep in the morning, the first explosion or one of the explosions mm-hmm. of the planes flying into the towers Mm -hmm. but that could also be i'm not really sure at one point i got up um went to the bathroom on the way back i was like oh you know why don't i take a turn on the computer and check the news i don't know why i did that but i did and uh, that was of course before smartphone and all those things so the computer turned on my old uh bondy blue imac (laughs) And my starting page at that time was actually a German newspaper. And um, there was a headline, uh, plane hit the World Trade Center. And that was pretty much it. And I was like, okay, so all the noise is because of that. And I figured, you know what, maybe I should go there. So actually, uh, you know, I wasn't rushing or anything. I took a shower. I even I think I even had a coffee or a bowl of cereal or something like that. So did you even look outside? I couldn't see you the couldn't World Trade see. Center or look downtown. I just could could look across the street into somebody else's apartment basically. Mm-hmm. So I took uh, I grabbed my Nikon FE and uh, a 8200 zoom, a 50 and a 28 prime. And then I also grabbed my Fuji 645 point-and-shoot medium format camera and then a bunch of rolls of film, 120 and 35. Uh, Left the apartment building, walked down on Canal. I don't know, I walked maybe like three minutes and then I had a view onto the World Trade Center. I was like, holy cow, you know, because it was like a gigantic hole on fire, smoke like crazy. I take the subway, I walked you know, by the first subway station, it was already closed, like all subway was shut down at that point. So uh, by foot then, I walked down uh, on Canal Street towards Broadway. On the way, many like of the corporate stores like Starbucks and those kind of places already shut down 
and closed for the day. Mm -hmm. The only stores open at that point uh, were like some Chinese fish places or whatever. And uh, I made a left onto Broadway. And from there on, <clears throat> there were like hundreds and hundreds of people streaming uptown. I basically walked against the stream and sort of half the way to World Trade Center, a police officer stopped me and he was like, dude, what are you doing? You're going the wrong way. I'm like, listen, I'm a journalist. I'm going to go there to take pictures. And then I showed him. I had a uh, German press idea. I showed that to him and he was okay. You're on your own. And he let me go. So I walked further down and then I made uh, a ride or into Vestry Street off Broadway and uh, walked that down as far as I could. And then there was a, a police block and there was like some FBI officers and some other cameramen and journalists and people like me, basically. For those of you unfamiliar with downtown Manhattan, Bird is one block away from the World Trade Center at this point. And uh, one of the officers said like, okay guys, uh, you just wait here and you know, uh, soon you can come closer and take more pictures, like close up, sort of. So, you know, we stuck around. And uh, at that point, yeah, you know, both towers were on fire, you know, chaos, smoke and stuff like that. But to be honest, I couldn't really see anybody jumping from that point or I didn't see any bodies or whatever the only thing i saw in that street there was like some debris laying around and something like blood in a water puddle but you couldn't really see what it was but mm -hmm. it was definitely blood but that was pretty much it and did it feel uh, like there was a lot of commotion around you like well there, there was commotion of course yeah, people and... like you know like i mean officers and police people and firefighters of course and uh, everybody was stressed out of course but in that street, <clears throat> or across from where we're standing, there were no more civilians running around or right. something like that. That was all like shut down. Professionals. Yeah, yeah, totally. And on the corner where we're staying, like on the right side, so on the left side was a church. Yeah. On the right side was, exactly was a standing. commercial building. Yeah. At, that, at that point, on that side, they had a scaffolding for whatever they were doing on the building. Mm -hmm. And uh, cell phones were not working, at least not mine. There was no reception. Or if you had the reception, it was like, uh, you know, like permanent beeping noise, so you couldn't get through. And there was a coin-operated phone. So we had to kind of line up because there were like some radio journalists who were giving like, like a live, you know, like interview through the phone from on, from on site, you know. And eventually it was my turn and I put in, you know, my quarters and uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I called actually Stern magazine. Uh, it's a German news magazine, like a weekly magazine. It's one of the three big ones that are on the German market. Because at that point I was already working for them and I told them, listen, um, I'm on ground zero. Uh, if you, uh, you know, want to hook up with me or do we do something together, let me know. And shortly after I did the phone call, basically I stepped away from the phone and uh, we're like, you know, stand, we're like mingling around with the journalists in a way. And at one point <clears throat> I heard this really, really dark crumbling noise. And then everybody was sort of like, you know, like kind of frozen at that second. And then I looked up and then you could see the tip of the South Tower, like the first, uh, I mean, like the top 15 floors, 20 floors were sort of like slowly moving to the side. Mm -hmm. And then everybody was like sort of like looking at it and like, okay, what's happening? 
and then basically snap and it started collapsing and at that point i was like shit i was really like frozen looking up there and i was like, okay you too close and this is it so basically i was really like at that point i couldn't think of anything else but like you kind of screwed and then next to me on my left was a photographer and he basically kicked me into my ribs he was like run for your life and then i him and i we ran back to broadway what happened to the other people i have no idea where they were going or if they stayed there or what uh, no clue so the him and i were uh, running <clears throat> back to broadway halfway there was like this metal door on on our left side that was closed and then we ran we ran we ran and shortly before we made a left turn onto broadway i looked back and every the only thing i could see was like basically like a black wall of smoke you couldn't see the world transcend anymore it was like was day like, in front of you and night behind you exactly basically. and that was it then we made a left and then we went into the first entrance on Broadway. Whatever we could get in, there was like a, basically the building that we were running along that had a uh, business, like the main entrance on Broadway, that's mm -hmm. uh, like two big glass doors. So mm -hmm. we stormed into those doors, we shut them behind us and there was a no more daylight, it was like pitch black. You couldn't see anything through those glass doors. Mm -hmm. It was like, like night, really. So then we went to this, we went through the second glass door into the main entrance into the lobby and uh, so it was me the other photographer um, somehow there was already like another news reporter like a journalist she uh, was working like for the ra for a radio station a handful of other people and the superintendent of the building and like i don't know like a few seconds after we were in the lobby elevators started coming down with people who saw the whole thing from, you know, I don't know, like 20 floors up mm -hmm. or something. Yeah, so they, of really course, they, they the all planet. wanted to leave the building, of course. So they came, like one elevator after the other popped open, like, you know, every elevator was like, I don't know, like eight people, 10 people. And one elevator opened. And uh, so, I mean, all people were stressed out and scared and I don't know, but there was one elevator and it was like a whole bunch of Hasidic Jews and they were screaming like somebody like stabbed them. I don't know what they saw, but I remember that was one of the vivid memories I have from that two hours. Like mm -hmm. that is one of them. And then the super started to sort of like um, to hand around like uh, a cloth he soaked into water because then eventually all the you know dust started seeping in through right. the glass doors and stuff like that. And I don't know, after 20 minutes, 25 minutes, uh, the black smoke t turned sort of like white, like really like thick fog. Anyhow, so me and another guy, we left, we went outside and basically right in front of us was an MTA bus who didn't make it. So he had the doors open and the entire bus was full of dust and the, the bus driver and stuff like that. And then I, I remember like from the right side, like further down on Broadway, 50 meters, there was like this uh, two police officers sort of like carrying a firefighter who had a leg injury. <clears throat> so they went across the street from the church on Broadway. There was a, and there, there was a chase bank. So because of the World Trade Center collapsing, all the power was out downtown, at least yeah. in that area, there was no more power. And uh, the Chase Bank had an ATM area, which was of course like uh, capsuled because with two entrances with glass doors. And right. since the power was out, the glass doors were locked and closed. 
and people were stuck in there and there was like uh, one of the chase like teller workers whatever with a fire extinguisher trying to smash the glass door so people can come out and stuff like that so in the way it was it really started to be like really spooky and crazy like in you know one of those hollywood movies you see where stuff where goes south like yeah like real. yeah like roland emmerich type of movie like yeah. this kind of scene in the end you know and uh, basically i stayed around that area because you couldn't really go closer towards the World Trade Center. You couldn't see anything. There were explosions like crazy and, and, and fire and those kind of things. Yeah, so on the corner of Broadway, Vestry, all the firefighters <clears throat> started sort of like to pile up uh, in that intersection. Mm -hmm. And they tried to make radio contact with the units that were in the World Trade Center. Of course, like the one tower being collapsed basically, so they already lost half of their people who were in the towers. So they really tried to scramble to get a hold of people because they didn't know what happened and you couldn't see anything. I mean, if you were like high up or in a helicopter, you know, okay, that tower is gone. But from our position, you, you could not see what, yeah, you couldn't balance. see what was left. You know, yeah. maybe only the tip that, you know, started crumbling when I saw it first, maybe only that went down, you know, you, you didn't really know. So basically I stayed in that area and after, I don't know, like 30 minutes, uh, the, the North Tower collapsed and uh, I went into another building and I stayed in that building for another 30 minutes, went out again, walked on Broadway, then I went up on Broadway like four or five blocks and then I made a left and cut over to Westside Highway. So Westside Highway, from that point, um, because the wind was coming from basically kind of uptown Jersey towards Brooklyn mm -hmm. so the um, World Trade Center what was like 10 8 like those buildings before or like surrounding the towers on that side they, they were kind of still standing some some of it let's say it this way yeah. and uh, that was quite damaged but uh, so kind of walking down on West Side Highway I remember there was before the this gangway between World Trade Center and American Express like those uh, passages over the west side highway mm -hmm. basically those came down they were like you know laying on the west side highway but beforehand was a car park and there were like two firefighters putting out burning cars so that everybody had a hose and they were like you know taking out the burning cars i was really thinking to myself why would you do that because at this point who cares about the burning cars mm -hmm. and uh, but there were like more firefighters of course uh Coming to that area after a while, there were, I remember there was one guy coming with like a huge like a caterpillar, like, you know, moving all the parking cars off the sidewalks to make some space. And mm -hmm. uh, you could also see like where those overpasses have fallen down onto the West Side Highway. They basically fell onto parking, firefighting cars and police cars and, and rescue cars and stuff like that. So those cars were basically from all the people who went up into the tower more or less. Definitely uh, at that point, everybody sort of knew like, okay, this is really bad, you mm -hmm. know, so, um, and uh, later on other photographers took pictures with like, you know, like the outer, you know, trade, the shell that yeah. was like in the rubble. Yeah. When I was there, you couldn't see it. There was so much smoke. There was no way you could right, take a picture. Right, because that smoke yeah. lasted. Exactly. For I mean, I I know the the pit itself was burning for di like a week straight or maybe exactly. longer. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And you really couldn't get a visual in there for Correct. days. Correct. Yes. Totally. And uh, I do remember being walking around there looking for like new angles to photograph. I guess. 
And uh, I also remember two people like yelling like, oh, whoever did this is going to pay for this and stuff like that, you know, which I, that thought really didn't cross my mind at that point, you mm -hmm. know, like uh, during that time, some people or you heard it like or you overheard, like, let's say, like some police officers talking to each other, like, oh, they also hit the Pentagon. Also, they were like uh, <clears throat> fighter planes flying really low level over Manhattan, which then really getting kind of like, okay. This is a bigger deal here besides what you have in front of your eyes. Yeah. And later on, when I went to, to my lab to develop the film, then I, the, was the first time that I saw really the news and saw like helicopter footage of the whole thing and stuff like that. Mm. So then you really started seeping in what really happened. Yeah. Because at one point down there, you know, stuff happened so quick. I don't know, for me, I didn't really was I scared? Probably I was, but I wasn't really thinking of it. I don't know, at that point you just have your camera and you look through your camera and you try to shoot nice pictures of a really awful situation. Right. I guess that's what you do. I mean, you, you try to capture that moment or behavior of other people. You know, you try to, you know, really capture like the looks or, you know, the frustration or the fear or those kind of things, or just like the actual, action what people do you know mm. i mean for me <clears throat> i'm not really a documentary photographer at all so to be honest uh, i know one thing for sure after having been to 9-11 i can and i will never be <laughs> like a war photographer or something like that i could not do that i don't need to go to those kind of places and I, and I really have to say people who do this for a living or uh, go to those places all the time um, those people are kind of special characters, uh, otherwise you cannot, uh, I, I, I can't um, comprehend how you can deal with those kind of situations all the time. You said you stayed around there until about 2.30 when you were done with your film. Exactly, yes. I also imagine you were covered in dust as well, uh, you're yeah. walking around <clears throat> down there. Did you then head out to take a shower? Did you, did you leave and go straight to develop your film? So what I did is, I walked back onto Broadway and then on Broadway I walked uptown towards Canal and then 14th Street. I There was a lab on below Canal Street on Broadway, Beth Schiffer. Um, it was sort of like they had a C41 uh, uh, film developing lab that it contacts and they also had a rental lab. So usually I would go there. I, at 2001 I was still shooting 100% analog and mm -hmm. not digital like many other photographers because in 2001 digital photogra uh, photography was extremely expensive and not good quality yeah. and uh, I don't know like good cameras back then were like 20 grand or something like that mm -hmm. and I mean of course these days you can still buy digital cameras for 20 grand or more but uh, it was it's too much money for me right now and it was too much money for me back then yeah and I mean so, it didn't you know, really become I think popular, popular, and really achievable to do it full exactly. time until 2006, maybe. Yeah, I think 2001, the only people who were shooting digital were like staff photographers from National Geographic mm -hmm. or maybe uh, New York Times or those big news outlets, yeah. you know, but uh, private uh, self employed photographers who would shoot those cameras, shooting very film. rare, I would say. Most of them were shooting films, especially of the ones that would do advertisement or portraits or those kind of things, you know. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, so that. that Schiffer, she was closed, and so I figured, okay, there's another lab that's sort of like uh, um, around 6th Avenue and 21st Street. I managed to get a cab somewhere around Broadway, 
and Houston, which I shared with another person. And they dropped me off then somewhere like, you know, 6th Avenue and, and, and 22nd or whatever. Then I walked to the lab. I gave them the film. I said, okay, here, rush service, develop only. Then basically uh, I waited around at the lab. I saw the footage um, that was uh, shown on the news from, from everything. And uh, the developing took like, I don't know, an hour and a half or something like that. And I was sitting outside and of course I was still covered with dust. I still had that cloth around my neck. And uh, I remember then uh, one lady came up to me and she was okay, oh, uh, you look like uh, you have been down in, uh, uh, at the World Trade Center. I'm like, yeah, sure. And she was like, so is everybody okay? I'm like, no, <laughs> nobody is okay. Oh, she was like, what do you mean? I was like, I think, yeah, you know, like most people are dead. And at one point they were like, uh, so, uh, were you down, at, down there, like World Trade Center? I'm like, yes, uh, this is the film, don't mess it up. You know, okay, and so they gave me my film. And then I went up to uh, um, the offices of Stern Magazine, which was at this point, uh, they had their offices around 45th, 46th Street. And uh, that was on Fifth Avenue, somewhere over there. And... Uh, on the street where the lab was, was a pickup truck with two construction workers. And I told them, dude, if you drive me to the uptown, I'll give you $25 in cash. That was the only cash I had on me. And they're like, okay, we do it. So they drove me up there, you know, let me out. I went to the uh, to Stern Magazine's office and they had a film scanner there and then and a light table. So I just started choosing my images with a loop from the negative and started scanning in my film. So I picked, uh, I think I managed to scan in like 15, 18 images and then I, uh, you know, saved them as a JPEG. There was no really time to do any uh, color correction or only basic color correction really. And then I just started uploading them to the server of Stern Magazine in Hamburg. And at this point they had dial up <clears throat> or something like that. So the connection was really bad. It was always interrupted. And unfortunately, my images didn't make it into the magazine because the ones that got onto their server in Germany had, they could open the images, but they had like stripes. Yeah, they're the lines. The lines in it, and I couldn't believe it. And like uh, three weeks later, I was in Hamburg and they showed me the files because mm -hmm. I was like, really That's like an interruption in the connection. Because I haven't seen it before and mm -hmm. I was still surprised they could, they, they could open the images, but they could. And I was like, shit, you know, like that basically, I mean, I made a deal with them, fixed flat fee for the whole event, basically. Uh, but for me, it was really like, because in the end of the day, <clears throat> from a photography point of view, and you want to get your work published, you at, that point, it's like, at that point, it's like whoever delivers the images first, they, those images will be picked and those images will be iconic. It yes. doesn't matter what images they are, if you deliver first, and your images get picked, those are the images that will get stuck in people's memory. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the big, the last big event before digital photography and smartphones. So if 9-11 would happen today, everything would be instant, mm -hmm. accessible to everybody through, I don't know, everything, like yeah. Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. So back then there was no such thing. And uh, I did have a show with my images uh, in Hamburg, like six months after 9-11, which was well received. Um, 
somehow I wasn't really eager to sort of like have my images in other books or something like that. I always thought, okay, maybe one day I'm going to do my own show with those images or something like that. And uh, uh, the 10th anniversary of 9-11, back then I was already in Germany. I approached some galleries, but somehow I tried to find some sponsors to do like a gallery show with these images, but that was turned out to be very challenging and in the end it, it didn't work out. I would love to talk about those images. Of course. I guess we could start with the people ones. Okay. So here, obviously, yes. this is the towers on fire. Exactly. So this, this is, is where you were standing on Bessie. Pretty much, yeah. A little bit, uh, this is, uh, I mean, I took this picture basically when you turn from Broadway onto Vesey. This is sort of like the view you got. Mm -hmm. I was standing a little bit closer than this, but uh, with the I took that with my Fuji, and that's, uh, that uh, camera was was, was a fixed lens, mm -hmm. so you had to go a little bit back in order to capture the entire <clears throat> height of the World Trade Center, more or less. But mm -hmm. uh, this is more or less the the position I was I was standing mm -hmm. um, before the tower collapsed. And then these two are people in the street. Yes. So was where was this in your timeline of your day? Well, this was after the South Tower collapsed and this is Broadway. This is over here. This is the Chase Bank. Mm -hmm. the, here you make a left towards the Brooklyn Bridge and mm -hmm. JNR. Yeah. And uh, to you right basically over here, you would turn into Vestry Street. And uh, also, I mean, basically, this is a different angle. Um, you got, you can you see it? This is Broadway. Mm -hmm. So, and then this is one corner of the church, and um, those people were just walking by. This was also after the first tower collapsed. So these were both after the first. Yes, exactly. Right. And then these are this mostly is West fire department. Yes, this is the West Side Highway. So this is after the second tower. Exactly. Yeah. Correct. And you correct. Had already yeah. Moved down. Yeah. And then basically uh, over here you see one of those overpasses that's sort of like relaying oh, yeah. over West um, Side Highway. You know, over here was the World Trade Center on this side, mm -hmm. and then this is one of those World Trade Center six seven yeah, buildings. One the, yeah. One of the, these. Yeah. After that one day, September eleventh, did you? How did you find the rest of that week to go? Did you? What was your schedule like? Well, did you do anything in particular? Did you go back down there? Well, I lived on 15 Orchard Street. So uh, after I called my parents, which I completely sort of like for spaced out to do that. You know, I was like after I or while scanning film, it was already like, I don't know, like really late. I was like, well, maybe I should call my parents because and my girlfriend, because I was like completely like going into like. You were just go, go, go. Exactly. Yeah. And, and my parents at this point were living in Tunisia, actually, in North Africa. They retired on an island and they of course tried to call me and you couldn't get through. Cell phone was basically dead and uh, my phone at home wouldn't work either. Like the Lower East Side was also cut off. Uh, the phone lines wouldn't work like the landlines. So I did call them and they were like, oh my God, it's so good to hear because Lisa called too and nobody can get a hold of you and stuff like that. And uh, so they were like, of course, super ha happy. And also uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, I talked to her, but uh, she didn't come to Manhattan, I think, for the next four weeks after 9-11. She did not want to come to to Manhattan. She was like, she, she lived in Philadelphia at that point, and she, she was really scared to come. And everybody in my building, I mean, my, I lived in a small building, so the, the ground level was like some Chinese business selling T-shirts. I was on the second floor, 
and then two more apartments above me and uh, they both left the city and did not come back for two weeks either. So I was by myself. At one point the phone started again and then I could also always hear their phone ringing. And, uh, but I was by myself in the building and then on every corner, like from September 12th on, on every corner in Manhattan was police or military in Humvees with like M16s and bulletproof vests and stuff like that on every corner, everywhere. Like basically all like after like from um, September 13th on, there was no way to go to Ground Zero anymore. It was completely shut down by officers. Because on the 12th, I still managed to go down there to take more pictures. But uh, after that 13th, they uh, arranged sort of like a press hold holding on the West Side Highway, but uh, much further up. And uh, that was the only um, as close uh, as they would uh, let people to go to Grand Zero. So, I mean, you just started your career, basically, and you were assisting other people, but still shooting for yourself. Hmm. Did you end up taking a, a break for a minute from shooting? I can't imagine that it would have been easy to continue working in that that week or two or three following. Yeah, basically it really, uh, for me, it, it was a really big dent, the whole event, uh, like for many other people. I mean, what, I, what I'm, no, other people lost their husbands or children or co-workers and stuff like that. So for me, complaining about, oh, I didn't have any jobs for three months. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's something you can uh, manage with. But of course, if you lose somebody uh, or, you know, your company is gone or whatever, that's even worse. However, everybody was afraid to fly and uh, everything basically got canceled. So then uh, because nothing else was really going on here. So three weeks in after 9-11, I just took a, a plane and uh, went back to Hamburg and shot some stuff over there just uh, to have work and, uh, you know make a living Just and uh, yeah exactly and then after my return here back to New York after that you know what do you do you start you know usually you you know walk around see some agencies and show your portfolio around but at that point nobody wanted to see any portfolios like advertisement like this whole advertisement industry and then the magazine business was pretty much like in a crisis like many Maybe like many other businesses too, but uh, I remember like advertising agencies, you really didn't have to go anywhere to show your book because nobody really wanted to see it. And how long did you stay in New York after that? Because I know you did move, you live in Berlin now. Well, I mean, I lived in the Lower East Side uh, in that apartment more or less till May 2003. And then I gave up the apartment. I had a sublet in the South Bronx for like two months. And um, then I decided to go to uh, Los Angeles, which I did. And because I really, I don't know, maybe had something to do with 9-11 or the whole thing. But at that point, I really had the feeling that I needed a break from the city. But I did not want to go back to Germany. I stayed there for about a year and a half and uh, then uh, in between, of course, uh, here and there, I came back to New York and uh, <clears throat> my wife Sumi back and uh, back then we were dating or we started dating and um, at one point it was like, okay, either she moves to LA or I move to back to New York and we live together or we break up. Those are the three options. 
that we have. And then I was, uh, we, we thought about it and I said, okay, you know what? I like Los Angeles, but business-wise, it really never worked for me there. And I uh, just packed up my bags and uh, came back to New York. And then we moved to Astoria, which we stayed till uh, the end of 2009. I know what you're thinking. That was a lot. How can there possibly be more? But there is. We had no intention to actually leave New York. I started going to the 9-11 medical monitoring program and starting in 2007. And uh, you do your routine, you know, like, I don't know, like blood test and check up and, and, and those kind of things. And I remember that the doctor said, hmm, last time you were here, you were, uh, you lost a lot of weight, like six kilos, which is like 18 pounds or something like that. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm working out and eating better. And then the next morning, um, the guy calls me, the doctor, and uh, he, he's like, Mr. Spangemacher, you have to come to the emergency room right away. And I'm like, uh, okay. If you want to see the photos that Bert and I talk about in the podcast, you can find them at therippledpodcast.com under Bert's bio. Go take a look. As always, a huge thanks goes out to Daniel Broadhurst and Sean Mann. I hope you enjoyed part one of Bert's story. Part two is coming soon. See you next time.